Hello, and welcome to Fan Slash Fiction with Andrew Slash Zach. I am Andrew Gum. I am Zach Dunsing. And today we discuss what it means to be off-Broadway. And I'll reveal two of the most powerful characters in the Shakespeareverse. That's a thing. I made it up, but it's a thing. It is now. What uh? What, what was your week like? Oh, this week has been super crazy. For example, right now I'm recording on uh, Lindsay, my wife Lindsay's computer, because I left mine with a student because I've just been running around like crazy. That doesn't really explain anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me. I'll. 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 Tarantino for a second. Yeah. So we're doing the 10 day film festival at our high school, and cool. um, today was day 10. So everybody's supposed to be getting in their films. Nobody did it on time. So everybody's freaking out and they're trying to airdrop it onto my computer. So I'm meanwhile running the play, which is our high school play that I'm directing and trying to do that while my film students are rushing in after school, trying to make sure that they can get their film in on the deadline, which is why I just gave them my computer so they could airdrop it onto it so I could, you know, continue working on the play. I would never just give my computer to anyone, let alone a teenager. Yeah. I see now that maybe that wasn't the best judgment considering I left it with them. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Not only did you give it to them, you forgot about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which hopefully gives you some insight into my mental state at the time. Uh, Hopefully it gives our audience some indication into your mental state. At all times. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If they listen to me, they probably are they're probably picking up that it's not all as well all the time in the house of gum. But uh um, Yeah, so so that's crazy and you know, the play's coming up and the the film festival has been has been jamming, so it's been gotcha. it's been a hectic period of time. How you doing? Uh pretty good. A uh, former student of mine is wanted by the police for a homicide. Wow, that's terrible. It is terrible. It, I didn't really. He, he wasn't. He came into. Our, he worked out of our space sometimes. He was a nice guy, but he uh, he wasn't really a student of mine. I didn't spend that much time with him. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, it was like a, a robbery scenario gone wrong. I think. Oh man. It was, I mean, it was robbery robbery scenario, so it was already not going great. For the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The victim, but it it I guess escalated. Yeah. Alleged. Allegedly. Well, hopefully all of it's a misunderstanding. No one is dead. Well, yeah, you're hoping that the cops misunderstand what being alive looks like? Exactly. That's my hope. I just hope that it worked out better than than people are anticipating. So, (laughs) Also, uh, the mayor of Nashville resigned. For what? Uh, She had an affair with her... um, Bodyguard? Press secretary. With, oh, bodyguard. No. Okay. With with the the basically the police officer who was responsible for guarding her. Um, and that was that came out a little while ago, but it wasn't. Um, people were kind of debating like whether you know it mattered or not. But essentially, she uh, she then pled guilty to felony theft for ten thousand um, dollars. That's a twist guess, ending. <laughs> well, yeah, because I guess they they went you know they they did a lot of like trips or something. No one knows exactly what the $10,000 were for, but there is a couple of like overseas trips I think that they took just the two of them 
on the taxpayer's dime. So I think rather than drag this whole thing out, she uh, she resigned and pled guilty to that. She's on like probation now. Oh my gosh. Um, I also feel like if you're going to steal money, steal more than $10,000. I know. That's the thing. She's like, she's on probation for three years and she has to pay back the $10,000. I could do that over the course of three years. <laughs> like that's- Yeah. It's like eat out less for three years. That's maybe right, $10,000. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, that's a dumb way to throw away your whole life. <laughs> I mean, oh, unless the dude's I mean, super hot, in which case, get it. Oh, he is not. He <laughs> 100% <laughs> is not. Yeah, I mean, they're both just like older people, you know. They're not yeah. bad-looking people. They're just older. They're not b- bombshells, I'll be honest. But uh, I mean, few politicians are. Yeah, that's that's true. Other than Condoleezza Rice. I mean, we all had crushes on Condi back when we were in elementary school. Let's be honest. Yeah, or you uh, you won't shut school. up about her. Yeah, I still won't. If you're listening, Condoleezza, I'm writing fan fiction of you and me in my heart right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're this week. Um, I'm gonna go first because I have a little one. You're gonna go second because you got uh, you've got a longer. You've got a longer. I have. Thing. Yeah, I've got a sprawl. It's not really one. Pe- particular story but it's like a i went down a hole okay so. um yeah so mine also is a little bit uh non-conventional because it did not come from a traditional fan fiction site but it is in my estimation a version of fan fiction you can tell me if you agree that this qualifies as fan fiction but i thought it was super cool and surprise surprise it is harry potter related are you kidding me? i'm not and i am sorry but as i was researching for this week i came across it and it was too cool i had to share it when yeah of course you came across it when the only thing you clearly ever search for is Harry Potter that is it's like you stumbled across some true. Harry Potter fan fiction I also, it's obviously <laughs> the only thing you ever look for I look for buddy Buffy the Vampire Slayer as well and there's just not as much good stuff I need to keep looking what I did come across was Puffs the Play and I already gave it away with Harry Potter but can you guess what it's about uh some stupid thing with Hufflepuff? That's correct. Lots of stupid things with Hufflepuffs. It is a an off-Broadway play that is currently running that is all about what was happening to all the just sort of forgettable Hufflepuff characters during all seven years of Harry Potter's like shit show of an education. This is so, a play that's currently running. This is currently running in New York right now. I'm open to its, okay. its play homepage right now. And it says, seven increasingly eventful years at a certain school of magic and magic. <laughs> I thought that like by off-Broadway, maybe you meant like Phoenix, Arizona. Like, like so off-Broadway. Off <laughs> <Yeah>, so off-Broadway <laughs> that it's actually something I made up and isn't yeah. real. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's way uh, off Broadway. Yeah, yeah, so I guess it's in a that figment regard, of Andrew's imagination. <laughs> we're an off Broadway play too, in that we're speaking and we're not on Broadway. And this is a podcast. Yeah, yes. yeah. Well, you know, we're keeping it loose. We're keeping it loose. Uh, so yeah, it's it's running currently, and so everything I was reading about it. So that's why mine's going to be a little bit extra short this week. Because I was unable to see it, but I saw interviews with the cast, I saw synopses of the plot, and then just reviews of it. You were unable to see it? You didn't fly across the entire country to review this 
play for our podcast, I our know off-Broadway podcast. I'm disappointed in myself as well, but I did not do that. Thanks for rubbing it in, Zach. But uh, yeah, we so it looks it looks really fun. It's it's being well reviewed. They're doing a Kickstarter to try to make it into a movie, which I think would be fun. Maybe not so fun that I will actually donate to it, but uh, hopefully they will be successful. I feel like they probably hit the highest watermark they could with making it a play. I don't think they should sink further resources into this. Yeah, but yeah. again, I haven't seen it, so um, it looks. It looks fun. So what they do is it's uh, it's a story of the seven years and you've got all their characters and they come out and do things. And apparently uh, this is building on some of the conversations we've had in the podcast. The, the saving grace or the part that people really love is they have super, super deep cut humor that is based on the books. So their whole thing that they're building on is kind of the conversation that we're having right. uh, about – does this thing stand on its own? Does this thing uh, have its have its own legs independent of itself when it's building on a language that you already have as a fan of a uh, pre-existing franchise? Like you have if you love Harry Potter so much that you're willing to come out and see puffs, then instantly you have a ton more buy-in if it's if it's only good, you're more likely to think of it as great because it's already right. building on a beloved uh you know, because you're for some reason that much more invested. That's, I mean, that's kind of yeah. That's sort of the philosophy behind all fandom. Yeah, that by you know that this drawing of these two characters like kissing from two different fandoms. If you really love both of them, that drawing might only be okay, but you super super love it because it's building on something that you love. When you're looking at the Tumblr stuff, yeah, that crosses over with fan fiction and all the art. That comes out of it. So yeah, so that was a that was kind of an interesting. Also, I don't know how they are allowed to do it because I guess it's technically satire. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it it would be because that's the same. And what we might talk about this at some point as well. But that that's how my friends uh, who did Terminator the Second got away with it. It's all under sort of satire rules. They took. The film Terminator 2 Judgment Day and tran- translated all of the language into Shakespeare's language. Which is so cool, I cannot even believe it. Like, that was right. in the Except early days by of cool, us being you mean friends. like yeah. the dorkiest possible thing you could that do. That is exactly but what I mean. <laughs> I know, wait, right. that's what's amazing about it. So they just they put on a play where everybody, I mean, my best friend was in it. He played the um, Terminator, and then my other two friends put it together. It was like all Nashville people. It was super fun. And they had the whole thing almost entirely funded on Kickstarter because it hit, the, it was like that, it was the perfect sliver of that Venn diagram of like Shakespeare weirdos. Sci-fi Terminator weirdos. Those people like show up in droves in the blogosphere, and yeah. they like they commit to Kickstarter. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's like the it was it, it it was so niche that it like it really found an audience. Yeah, and I feel like if you're trying to start out as an artist, you need to be able to capture people's imagination somehow. You need to. You know, if you aren't an established name, if they don't have any reason why they would want to you know, just pick up something yeah. that you wrote, then having something, having something to leverage that they already like is a good way to make something. Now, 
it is a flagrant uh, violation of copyright law. Well, yeah. And it's that other thing of like, well, at the end of the day, though, like that well, it's this is this art conversation we're having. Like there is something purely creative about it that we totally. always talk about. Like the pure creative impulse is there. And that's I think is the majority of what qualifies something as art. But at the same time, it, it's it's nothing without Shakespeare. It's nothing without the work Shakespeare did, and it's especially nothing without the work James Cameron did. Oh, totally. Shakespeare is a hack compared to James Cameron. Oh, big time. <laughs> yeah. But uh but yeah, so those that that space where you're you're doing a whole performance that would not exist if it were not an homage to something. In your case, an homage to two uh, right. different different things. Then, I mean, you're that's you know that's that's exactly what fan fiction is in my mind as well. You're creating something new that would not exist if it weren't for this already existing intellectual property, and people right. are finding it and loving it. Like it's getting really well reviewed on, uh, like Mashable did a thing for them. Cool. Uh, and the Off Broadway Alliance Awards gave it the best unique theatrical experience, which is interesting. Uh, Laugh out loud, funny, and cry out loud, heartrending says MagicalMenagerie dot com. <laughs> And any Harry Potter Wait, fans visiting what? New York City absolutely must take in this place from Hypable. Exudes a jovial winking fondness for all things Harry. The New York oh, Times. God. I know. I know. All things Harry is a terrible place. Yeah, phrase. why would the New York Times say that? You had to know what that sounds like, the New York Times. You're the New York Times. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and which also, why are they covering something that takes place in Phoenix anyways? Yeah, or in my imagination, because as I've already <laughs> said, none of this is real. Look it up. Well, haven't it is, you, didn't you, uh, didn't you read that, that, see that new column that they're doing, Andrew's Imagination? Yeah, yeah. In the New York Times, don't yeah. look it up, that's a lie. Are there any highlights from the play? Like, is there anything that you can, I mean, it's a play, so. Um, so I don't know anything specific, but I do know that they have improvisational scenes and they they like feature these these characters and they go through all their events, but then they'll bring people up on stage. So it's like a theater experience more than just a, you know, a straight play that is perfectly scripted. So that's fun. Um, and then they also do matinee performances once a week where they take everything. I imagine it gets a little bit blue. Uh, because uh-huh. they do a version that's just for kids where uh no one takes their clothes off i assume I assume if they do it's in a funny way and not in a you know a huffle lust no that's terrible, so he huffed and he puffed and he blew Brian <laughs> he blew Brian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, he blew Colin Creevy. Uh, I, maybe yeah. there was weed jokes cause they're called puffs, but I don't know exactly. There didn't seem to be anything about it, but that seems like pretty low hanging fruit. Yeah. If you're also, so does everything you've mentioned. Yeah. That is an interesting <laughs> thing that it's like when you, when you're looking across a lot of the, the fan fiction that you find, a lot of it makes a lot of sense. Like. Yeah, that's sure. an interesting story. The Hufflepuffs were the most underrepresented of the houses. That could be ripe ground for fan fiction. Like you can you can expand a lot there because all these events are happening and there's this huge empty space left in 
the canon of the fiction so you can develop whatever you want there and you can make it funny and silly. Is it empty space though? I mean, they cover the wizarding wars. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't really give a shit what those Hufflepuffs are doing in their spare time. But enough people do that enough the New do. York Times <laughs> called everything Harry or something. So Yeah. So that was what I found this week. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's just interesting always. It's always interesting to see what people choose to do with their time. Yeah. Like us, for example. Like us. Doing this. <laughs> with this podcast. <laughs> this off-Broadway podcast. Yeah. Yeah. One day it'll be on Broadway if someone happens to be on Broadway Avenue while listening to this podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee. Yep. Or at one of our two Broadway Shoes outlet stores that we have here in lovely Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. I would hope that people would listen there while they're getting a fitting. For their feet. So, what did you uh, what did you find this week? I got to figure out kind of the best way to to get into this. Although it's very appropriate that you you came with a play. We didn't even plan that, but I'm glad you did because I also have a, a few plays. No kidding. Look at this, huh? It's kismet. Is it kismet? I'm not sure if that's the right Yiddish word. I'm not. I don't. I'm, I don't do Yiddish. Okay. So the first one is written by villain obsessed girl. Cool. And it's titled Oedipus Rex Final Fantasy VII. You you had me at Oedipus Rex Final Fantasy VII. I hope so. <laughs> uh, so it's like, it, you know, it's broken down. It's got a list of characters, which are essentially a bunch of crossovers between Oedipus and Final Fantasy VII. Would you like to explain the story of Oedipus real quick? Yeah, I'd love to. So in the story of Oedipus Rex, there is a prophecy that says that the son of the king will kill his father and marry his mother, and the entire nation is going to crumble because of that. Mm -hmm. And because of a set of circumstances. Yeah. And so the the king goes out to the desert, decides he's going to keep this prophecy from happening, pierces the ankles of his infant son, leaves him to die in the desert. Long story short, he survives and unwittingly makes all those things come true. Kills his dad yeah. uh, just as... Like he's he's going by and makes him he angry. Kills his, he, kills he kills his dad in a, like a, at a road crossing yeah. to get into a scuffle. And then he goes back to the kingdom. He marries his mom. He blinds himself when he finds out. Mm -hmm. Like It's where the term Oedipal complex comes from. Yeah. It's when you have the hots for your mom, that's an Oedipus complex. But it's based yeah. on a Greek myth. Tragedy. Tragedy. Greek play. Not, not myth. Tragedy. Yes. Written by Sophocles? Anyway, continue. Can't remember. Aristophanes. Euripides? Aristophanes. Yes. So basically, this is that. So we have a, a cast of characters. Oedipus Rex is played by Cloud Strife, who's the main character from Final Fantasy VII. The video game on PlayStation. The video game, PlayStation 1, probably one of my favorite video games of all time. Um, Oedipus Rex slash Cloud Strife is played by Brandon Harris. Jocasta, his, Oedipus's mother, slash Aerith, which is Cloud Strife's girlfriend, played by Brittany Walker. So I think this was actually something that a person wrote for their high school and was performed. That is super awesome and pretty dope. Also, yeah. this was in this was published in 2012. Okay. Which is what 14 years after um Final Fantasy 7 came out and how many thousands of years after Oedipus Rex came out? Like at least 2. Yeah, at least two. That's as much as I know about yeah. history. <laughs> um, so essentially, it's okay. So this is that's kind of like where the Oedipus 
part of it stops. Their name for the characters and the, the main character from Final Fantasy VII marries his girlfriend for Final Fantasy VII, but they're also both the two main characters from Oedipus, which are mother-son. Gotcha. So that's like that sort of plays out how you would expect it. All the um, characters are just sort of talking about the events. The idea of it is bonkers to me, but the reason why I'm bringing it up is because the whole thing is basically through the perspective of Rude and Reno. Did you play Final Fantasy VII? Yeah. Do you remember Rude and Reno? No. <laughs> exactly. So they're these two characters that pop up like periodically. Like they kind of work for the bad guys, but they also kind of spend time with the good guys. They just sort of – they're two side characters. They don't really do anything. They just sort of pop up around big events that are going on. They sound like Rosencrans and Guildenstern from Hamlet. I was really hoping you would say that. Really? Great. Yeah, because they do. Yes. They sound like they're kind of good guys, kind of bad guys, kind of have relationships with – both sides. Yes. So it's the whole story of, I mean, the whole story basically through their perspective, they're talking about how they found this child out there and then they brought him home and he ended up being the Kingslayer and marrying his mom and all that. Basically, it's all, all through their perspective. Sweet. So do you want to explain who Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are? Sure. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are two childhood friends of Hamlet in the play Hamlet by William Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Uh, they are brought in to try to cheer up Hamlet and then made to unwittingly take Hamlet to be executed by the king of England. Hamlet finds the letter that means that he's going to be killed by the king of England, changes it so it's not him that's going to be killed, it's going to be Rosencrantz and Guildenstern that are killed instead, gets off the boat during a pirate scuffle, goes back and then kills his uncle and dies. But Rosencrantz and Guildenstern were never were trying to hurt anybody. They just got caught in the middle of a very bad situation. Lovely. Now, do you want to explain Tom Stoppard's play, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead? Yes, I would. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead is a play by Tom Stoppard, <laughs> which follows all the events of of uh, Hamlet from the perspective of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, uh, which sounds very similar to what you're talking about with yes, and they sort of and rowdy uh, Reno and Rude, Rude and Reno, Rude and Reno. Uh, yes, where you get yes. to see all of these events of the play from an outsider's perspective, and and they sort of inadvertently cause all of yeah all of all of the major events of the play. They sort of fumbly, bumblishly, in a very Randall style oh, cause. Randall. It should have been Randall Kranz and Gildens Randall. <laughs> 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 that one really got me. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. So yes, that does sound very similar. Yes, so it is, right? So that so they um, inadvertently cause all the major plot point, major events of Hamlet by just fumbling around. It's also uh, – well, one, also Tom Stoppard, I didn't realize, co-wrote the Terry Gillian film Brazil, which is one of my favorite films of Sweet. all time. Makes sense. I mean, he's a genius, but – yeah. Tom Stopper, I was sorry, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Dead also gets compared to Waiting for Godot mm -hmm. a lot. Um, it's very, a very similar thing. These two sort of bumbling characters that are kind of wandering through the world, experiencing it. Yeah, because it's, and also both are very, they're supposed to be funny, but the yeah. worldview is like pitch black. Totally, yeah. Like the in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, the characters Rosencrantz and Guildenstern die off, off, stage in Hamlet. Yes. And like they're getting ready to just like disappear. They know they're gonna die, but they don't know how because it never really right. says it 
in the play, and then they're just gone, <laughs> and then it's right. over. Right. So yeah. It's okay. So the Oedipus thing led me to Rude and Reno, which made me think of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, which led me to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are undead. Oh. This is written by Megan Made to Funny in 2013. That's a real Oh, that's real? Yeah. That's the best. This is a story I'm reading in the podcast we're doing right now. So this Broadway. is happening too? Oh. We are recording it <laughs> right now. Th- this is all very exciting. Continue. Good. So uh just wait, man. So this one is written this was has it's it has stage uh direction. It, it's written like a short play. And I'm assuming, honestly, this is another person's high school project, because that's when I that's when I read Rosencrantz and Girls and Dead in high school. So <laughs> I'm assuming it was like a you know, like an AP English assignment that they that they ran with. So it opens with uh Guildenstern going uh, <laughs> and then Rosencrantz saying Guildenstern are we dead? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Why? Do you feel dead? Well, no, but what does it feel like to be dead? How should I know? Where are we? Do you hear that? Hear what? A crash. That. What? You idiot. That rustling noise. What? Never mind. Hey, there's a door over there. This is exactly Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Absolutely. are dead. That's, so in case you haven't read that play, me. yeah, there's a whole scene where they're in the dark in the ship, and it's that exact thing, like bumbling around. Exactly the the nature of reality and it's just very it's very absurd it's very existential i mean the same with waiting for godot it's a very existential sort of comedy of errors type thing yeah so i'm just going to read this little excerpt of it of guildenstern rosencrantz what's wrong with your face what what's wrong with your face (laughs) my face yes your face unless of course your face is also my face which would mean that i am also you as well as me and you are also me as well as you therefore we are the same person with the same face unless i was hallucinating then you would just be a hallucination which would make me a hallucination and a hallucination cannot hallucinate oneself because hallucinations are incapable of hallucinating hallucinations therefore we must be twins yep that's perfect right. yeah that's just so spot on yep. so it's just it's that it's it's a bun- it's very Apropos, it's pretty on point with the with Tom Stoppard's play, and it just they go back and forth, and they sort of have these this continual sort of funny back and forth dialogue until they run into a bunch of people who are also undead. Are they the people <laughs> that die at the end of Hamlet? Presumably, but it act, doesn't act. It does. It's not actually specific about that. Okay, because nobody talks except for them. They just run into other people who are chasing de- like a basically a mob of shuffling zombies who are chasing down some live people those live people shoot back and eventually Rosencrantz realizes that he's he's really hungry and he can't remember when they ate last so mm-hmm. then he like starts to go after the woman to eat her brains Great. and Guildenstern's like what are you doing we don't eat people and he's like I don't know we ever tried it or whatever and so they <laughs> they chase him down and then they both they both get shot um and put down by the person they're chasing, and then the last two lines of the play are Guildenstern. Uh, Rosencrantz. Guildenstern. Are we dead? Oh, that's great. That's great. It's pretty great, right? I love that. And this mm-hmm. this whole thing is making me think, too, of William Shakespeare's Star Wars. Did you ever read that? Uh, Hold that thought for a second. Okay. Okay. 
but yeah, that sounds perfect. That's that's a, a loving homage to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, which is a loving homage to Hamlet. And it sounds mm-hmm. like the rude and Reno. Yes, rude, rude and Reno. Reno was an homage to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead Absolutely. and Final Fantasy and Oedipus Rex. So Ab- absolutely just homages galore today yeah it's just a russian nesting doll of homages (laughs) it's just called an homage that's not a great russian anyway continue (laughs) okay it was slightly as good as your yiddish yeah well i'm kaput uh okay so when you said shakespeare is star wars are you are you referring to tag and bink are dead no i'm Okay, explain to me your thing first. Okay, so my thing is a full-length play about the same length as, like, Hamlet. It's long. It is a full-length uh-huh. play, and it is a mashup. It's all an iambic pentameter, and it is A mm-hmm. New Hope, and it is excellent. Whoa. And it is written in, and they're just densely packed with Shakespeare references and mm-hmm. Star Wars references and like good in jokes and it plays with all of Shakespeare's tropes that he put into all of his plays with the back with while telling the story of A New Hope and it is excellent and we almost did it in Nashville but then I moved from Nashville we were gearing up to do it with the Nashville Shakespeare Festival my my friends out there that still work there we had we did a reading we were trying to figure out how to do it, and then I left, and I don't know if they ever did it, but I didn't do it. I don't know. I Assuming if they had, I would have heard about it, yeah. but I also sort of dropped off paying attention to the Nashville Shakespeare yeah. Theater scene once you moved yeah. because you were the most radiant of pucks. Thank you. It was very small. That's all I had going for me, but uh, thank you. Radiant. Thanks. That's kind. That's so. Kind. Okay. So what's tag and tag and who? Okay, so this whole rabbit hole led me to something that I, I, had, I had been f- a little bit familiar with before, but I, I really was worth the, the deeper dive, but it's called Tag and Bank are Dead. Okay. It was written by Kevin Rubio. It's a very short series of comics um, set in the Star Wars universe, put out by Dark Horse, I believe, that is an homage to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Dude, you are so, killing it with the connective tissue between your stories. Well done. It, it's just there, man. It's just there. So Tag and Bink are two rebel officers, or not officers, just two rebel soldiers. Mm-hmm. And they're these, the, so the premise of Tag and Bink are dead, there's, I think, three volumes of it more now, one for each movie, essentially. Okay. And they are... Um, they're Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. So they, they're these two side characters who show up inadvertently cause all the, all the, the, the loopholes in Star Wars. Like all the stuff that doesn't add up, they're responsible for. Oh, that's so interesting. Like, yeah, yeah, it is interesting. So like Tag and Bink, they show up on the, the, the ship at the beginning of A New Hope, the one that's being chased that like, I think it's a Carillion cruiser, but the rebel ship. Mm-hmm. So they're on that ship. They're trying to hide from, Darth Vader and the soldiers, and I think like that scene where R two D two or C three PO makes a bunch of noise and draws the soldiers towards them. Like it reveals Tag and Bink's position. Mm. Um, so then they get taken captured onto the ship, and they have to basically impersonate stormtroopers mm. on the Death Star. So essentially, like they they impersonate 
stormtroopers and then they steal a couple of TIE fighters or maybe one TIE fighter, I can't remember, and escape the Death Star to uh, Yavin 4 right before it's destroyed by the Death Star. Wait, is that Yavin? Uh, Dan- wait. Dantooine. Wait, the the planet that no. gets blown up is Alderaan. Alderaan, yeah, yeah, of course it's Alderaan. Yeah, sorry. So yeah, so they 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 dress up as as stormtroopers and then try to escape. And they're the Tie Fighter that's flying around in the rubble of Alderaan that the Millennium Falcon runs into contact with. So like, there's a whole thing of like, why is this Tie Fighter so far away from the dar- the Death Star? Like, what's it doing in this freshly minted asteroid belt that was just that is the rubble of Alderaan? It's these two guys trying to escape, right? <laughs> Oh wait, and the it, but isn't that an enemy Tie Fighter in the in the movie? Yeah, well they shoot at him, and then they end up just chasing it back to the Death Star. Oh. So the idea is that like they've escaped, and then they run into the Millennium Falcon, and then, and then the, they head back. Oh, to, that's that's a good that's a good recognition yeah. of why would there be a Tie Fighter out there? It doesn't make a lot of, like well, what's well, it? Yeah, well, it's for? just like all that's the theme is that like all that stuff that doesn't really add up it's like it's these two fumbling randals are doing right <laughs> Great. so uh, which uh, is what like i will the, call the two, people from now on you yeah. fumbling randall uh so like the two guys that are supposed to be guarding the the tractor beam controls and are just like talking about whatever speeder bike or whatever they're talking about that's tag and bink great um, okay they again try to escape and they're like they're the two tie fighters that actually inadvertently um this is all in a new hope so like they're the ones that accidentally get in Darth Vader's way when he's trying to shoot down Luke in the trench run. I don't recall that, but it, I'm sure it's real, and I'm sure it's there. well. He's, I mean, yeah, he's got he's got a couple of Tie Fighters that are like flanking him, and then Han Solo comes in, shoots one of those, and it knocks uh, Darth Vader's Tie Fighter, oh, and he spins yes. out from the trench run. But yes. it's like so in the in the comic book, it's like he it's because they blundered again that they cause him to not be able to shoot down. Yeah, that's when he spins away, but still survives. Because he doesn't get, because Darth Vader doesn't get shot down, he gets bumped right. into, and then like it's all stuff like that. Like through just a series of fumbling misadventures, they are like they're the two guys who end up shooting C three PO in Cloud City, blasting him to pieces in that scene that takes place off camera. Okay, so it's like all the stuff that does, like there's a whole thing of like where is Chewie's medal at the end of A New Hope? Yeah. Did right, like, like why did Chewie get a meadow? No, no, no. They uh, so they steal the Tidarian, which is that that three sort of winged um, officer vessel that is used in the Empire or in uh, Return of the Jedi, the one that they used to sneak onto Endor. Okay, so they steal that after the first Death Star is destroyed. They steal that to escape the first Death Star, <laughs> and then they fly it to uh, Yavin Four, where the Rebel base is. And they show up late to the party and they find Chewie's medal just like sitting on the floor. <laughs> oh, so basically these guys just are in the wrong place at the wrong time and they keep stealing ships. Yeah, basically they keep stealing ships. <laughs> you know that scene where, um, what is her name? Mon, Mon Mafra or whatever is like, they're, they're talking, it's in Return of the Jedi. They're talking about where they got the blueprints from for the new uh, Death Star. And she's like, many Bothans died to receive this data right. or whatever. Which, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Because when I was watching Rogue One, I was expecting to see the many Bothans. Who are the Bothans? How did they die? Well, in Tag and Bink, it's just a guy named Manny. Oh. Manny Bothans. <laughs> Manny <laughs> and he, Bothans. He, he, 
he gets he gets the the plans to them and then inadvertently like gets killed. <laughs> that is such a good joke, Manny. It really Bothan. is. It's like there's like a there's like a little panel of him just being like, "Hey, Manny Bothan's at your service." <laughs> That's great. That's great. So it's great. So just like I mean, you get the idea. It, there's just a couple of highlights. Like uh, essentially, they they're also the two imperial guards that watch Luke and the Emperor fight. Oh. That's why they don't do anything. They're just like hanging out watching. But then so they end up dying on the second Death Star. And then in in the final scene of Return of the Jedi, they're they're also ghosts. They're just slightly out of frame. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> so because it, when they do go through the, so there's like there's Tag and Bink are dead and Tag and Bink Revenge of the Clone Menace. Okay. Which that. is all the all the prequels, and essentially they're like they were also in Jedi training, but were really shitty at it. Like they were also Padawans, so they're just terrible. <laughs> yeah, they're really bad at it. They blunder well, like everything. Padawans but... nailed it. Nice, nailed it. But they're also um, friends with Anakin, so like they're the people who are feeding Anakin all the shitty lines that he tries to woo Padme with. Oh, that's on so Naboo good. In the second one. Yeah, like a la Cyrano de Bergerac as well, yeah. which I thought was interesting. So they're the ones that are like, uh, you should uh, you should talk about sand. Just talk about how you don't like sand. She'll be into that. <laughs> like they're the reason why he comes off so stiff is because that's great. these two idiots are feeding him the lines. Yeah, it's great. Um, so that that's kind of like that. that's it. You get the idea. Like they, they're really fun companion pieces to the Star Wars septology, octonology. Yeah. At this point. Which I kind of feel is the same about Rogue One. Rogue One feels like a perfect fan film. Rogue One is a fan film. Arguably so is The Force Awakens. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just a retelling of A New Hope. Um, yeah. The thing is that I'm that I'm surprised by is in Rogue One – they reveal that that flaw in the Death Star was an intentionally placed thing so that yeah. you could destroy the Death Star with the single shot, which is great. It's it recontextualized a plot hole. Yeah, exactly, which is, which is really good. You've sealed a plot hole 30 years later, but then you've <laughs> no got- No one knew you could do that. Yeah, I know. And then you did it. Good job, Rogue One. But then you see in Force Awakens the same- plot hole you just gotta go down to that like reactor area and blow a bunch of shit up in there and then the whole planet goes it's still i believe that was a uh it was an energy modulator or whatever right the, what, what it. like it's the whatever hole you gotta shoot a torpedo into to blow up the whole planet sounds like my ex-wife seriously cheryl, cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> okay so this is okay. So the the last thing I have to say about this is that Ron Howard posted a tweet the other day announcing Tag and Bink were going to be in the solo movie. Really? <laughs> so he he basically in this one tweet made them canon. Oh, that's amazing. Oh yeah. So these two guys are playing Tag and Bink. I don't know who's playing who, but one of them is John Kasdan. Don't know who that who, is. Who you do know who that is actually? He he co-wrote. Solo, a Star Wars story, and he's the son of Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote all the good Star Wars movies. Oh, okay. That's cool. Not to be confused with his brother, Jake Kasdan, who directed Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. (laughs) 
But I like him too, though, now. I know, right? The Kasdan clan yeah, is doing well for themselves. It, generationally killing it, those Kasdans. Yeah. Yeah. I like I like the like the perfect idea of the um nepotism. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I like the perfect idea of the nepotism of, of Lawrence Kasdan like making a new Star Wars movie after thirty years and like, yeah, I'm doing I'm 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 restarting this new franchise. And my fucking son can do the solo story. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean It's like it's like it's it's it it's perfectly matched to skill. Yeah, <laughs> it's know? just like, like, hey, you know we'll, what, we'll, we'll keep it in the family. You, know, but you, you, can, you can write this one. Just, you know, use my voice. You spend enough time with me, son. You get the pre you get the prequel spinoff. Yeah. Your other brother, he's doing fine. He's doing he's yeah. doing those uh, those funny movies, those funny. Pictures. He's doing those funny. He also uh, Jake Kasdan also directed Orange County, which is a favorite of my wife's. Yeah, Orange County's great. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's the Kasdans. The Kasdans, man, they're doing great work. Yeah. So I I really feel like we covered a lot tonight. Yeah, I feel very good about this. I'm very yeah. happy about a lot of this stuff existing. Mm-hmm. Which is better than being just so sad that now I know that a thing that should not be is. This is the opposite of that. What should not be? I don't know. Like Garfield just and Calzone tits. I mean, maybe that oh, should yeah. be too. I'm not going to try to hate on Garfield. That's pretty. That's. I pretty think at the end of the day, who who are we to judge? True. True. Beauty, love it, love it, darling. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a good intro there, Zick. Oh, yeah. I can't tell if you're doing like an Austin Powers thing or if you're doing Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. No, uh, if I was doing Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, I'd be like, I feel like Bane and Buffalo Bill have so much in common. It's just like, what's the deal with your voice, dude? Is that why you are the way you are? Because you just had a weird voice? Well- no, Buffalo Bill was the way he was because he had gender dysmorphia. I know, but like what a like what an unflattering presentation of you know, people that are you know, not happy with their assigned gender. You don't have to make a dress out of women's skin, dude. You get to, Andrew. <laughs> it's a privilege, not a yeah. right. As always, if you'd like to hear more of our stuff, go to fanfiction.show or anywhere else that you go to get your podcasts. Contact us at Zandrew at fanfiction.show. Our Twitter and Instagram are at fanfictionshow. And if you'd like to read any of these things or research them yourself, we talked about Puffs, the off-Broadway play by Matt Cox, Tag and Bink Are Dead by Kevin Rubio, Oedipus, Final Fantasy VII by Villain Obsessed Girl, Rosencrans and Guildenstern are Undead by Megan Made a Funny. And a few points of clarification and information. Uh, it, 100%, it was written by Sophocles. We were dumb. Sorry about that. Um, also, if you want to hear a really solid job of a really solid overview of the saga of Tag and Bink, go to Austin McConnell and his YouTube channel, Really Weird. Um, and also, we'd like to make a general apology to Star Wars nerds for all the things we got wrong or spoke stupidly about. Um, though, if you don't have a pretty good uh, constitution against us saying stupid stuff about things we don't know a lot about, then this probably is not the show for you. All right. Thank you so much again. We will be bringing out new content soon. Uh, 
Talk to you later.